I'm so glad that each one of you uh, found time in your busy week to be able to come and to be able to worship with God's people. I'm really glad you're here. We gather here every Sunday about 10 o'clock, and we begin to worship, we sing, we pray, we talk to God in different ways, we try to listen to God, but during this time, we open up God's Word. God's Word's important to us, and we, we open up God's Word, and we just see what God has to say, not only to us as a church, but to each one of us as individuals. So we're going to do that today. We started our study last week in 1 Peter. So if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Peter or your flat screens, that would be great. The Apostle Peter understands what is hard, what is also wonderful, what persecution looks like, what regrets look like, even what abundant life looks like. We know that the Apostle spent about three years with Jesus. And then once Jesus ascended back to glory, Peter probably spent the next 30 years or so serving in the church leading much of that time. But most of us, as we kind of look at Peter, we, we go over different things, and, and, and we think Peter's a hero. Most of us uh, can relate with Peter, at least to his regrets, to his failures. We all know what it means to deny Jesus at times, or to not to trust Jesus. Most of us, though, we haven't seen 3,000 people come to faith after we've preached. Most of us have not walked on the water. Most of us have not been put in prison. I know a few of you have, but, but not most of us. And we haven't prayed, and all of a sudden the prison doors open up, and we walk out. And we see the church just overjoyed that you are out and on mission. Well, we know the church was expanding under Peter's leadership, but Rome was making it really, really hard to be a Christian. There was all kinds of persecution, so the church which started in Jerusalem began to just spread out all over, literally, the world. Because people were under persecution. Well, Peter's writing near the end of his life to a group of exiles trying to journey well between two worlds, trying to figure out how to live in a present culture while really focusing on the future. I think his words, which we're going to read today, are God's words to us today. He starts off this text with a doxology of praise. He's focusing on our salvation, and I think what he's doing is really asking each one of us to maybe wake up every day and do exactly the same thing. I'd like to start reading chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and we're going to read all the way through verse 12. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with a great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled. Beyond the reach of change and decay. And though your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. Which is ready to be revealed on the last day. For all to see. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day that Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice 
with a glorious, inexpressible joy. There is a reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching for these things to happen. Let's pray. Father, I ask today that you would be abundantly active, that you would teach us and you would guide us and you would strengthen us and you would give us a sense um, that you're not only here, but that you desire deeply for us to understand your word and you better. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Peter starts off and says, All praise to God, our merciful Father, who provides salvation. God sent Jesus to rescue, to be our Savior, to save the lost. Now, depending on your version, the text that we just got through reading, you're going to find the word salvation at least four different times. It's important, though, I think, for you to understand all the words salvation encompasses. If you do, I think you're going to float out of here today. So many times we read salvation or, or understand what salvation, we each have this little picture in our mind. But I think Peter, along with the early church, wanted us to understand a whole lot more what that word salvation means. There are really three aspects or three facets or three parts of salvation. Now, I know not every one of you are into diamonds, but one of the things about diamonds that I've learned, not because I'm an expert, but there are different facets. There's different cuttings. And as you look at a beautifully cut diamond at different angles, there's different brilliance. There's, it shines differently. It looks differently. If you're into art and you go into, well, the art museum or somewhere that is displaying some beautiful art, you never just kind of walk by, look at a painting, and then leave. Well, maybe some of you do. That's kind of what I do. But if I really want to embrace the art, if I really want to look at the painting, I'll look at it one way, then I'll stoop down a little bit and, and go that way. And, and every way that I look at it, there might be a different brushstroke, or there might be a little bit different brilliance. And I think that's how it is with salvation. When you're very young, and maybe when you're very young in the faith, we focus a whole lot on one aspect of salvation, one facet of salvation. But we have an amazing God to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. You have provided us a salvation, and the salvation is so big. It is so rich. It is so multifaceted. There are three things that will just shake you up and encourage your heart. And if we only focus on one, if we only take one snapshot of salvation, it's cool. But if we can somehow understand all that God desires for us, I think it'll change the way we look. The first aspect or facet of salvation is called justification. It's the past aspect of salvation, which simply means we're saved from the penalty of sin. This is what we talk about very early in a person's relationship. A lot of our Awana verses focus on this, trying to encourage our kids to understand, you know what, we were born sinful, all of us. And we're separated from God. 
And God is righteous, and God is good, and God is holy. And in order for us to be redeemed or to have our relationship restored with God, we need our debt paid for. We need to be cleaned up. We need, well, a Savior. The past aspect of salvation focuses on this act of God called justification. Now again, some of you may be newer to faith, but I'm going to talk about three different terms that I just think it's really, really important for every believer to understand. Because it's part of this whole understanding of what salvation is. So the first humongous word is justification. And what you usually do, especially with younger people, is say, well, what does justified mean? Well, it means just as if I've never sinned. And I know that's kind of simplistic, but that's really what justification is all about. When you put your faith in Christ, all of a sudden, when Jesus looks at you, when God looks at you, he looks at the blood that was shed on the cross, and you now are a son or a daughter of God. Justification is a one-time event, and it comes when one believes in Christ who paid our debt and delivered us from the penalty of sin. The Scriptures tell us that if we don't let Jesus pay for our sin, then we need to pay the debt, and the debt is death or separation from God for eternity. In Romans chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes this, people are counted as righteousness, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes this, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace, or we have our relationship restored with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Well, the second aspect of salvation is the one that so many of us struggle with. We're really excited about the past aspect. We're really grateful to God that we're justified. But the present aspect of salvation means we are being saved from the rule or the power of sin. The big word that goes along with this doctrine is called sanctification. Sin is no longer our master. Sanctification means believers are continually being delivered from the power of sin and being transformed into Christ's likeness so that we may mirror our King to others. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 is a verse so many of you have memorized. But Paul says this, for by grace you have been saved. Literally, the Greek is saying this. It's the most awkward sentence, but I think you'll get the idea. You are having been saved. You are having been saved. Salvation is a past occurrence with a continually results in the present. What Paul is just really trying to say is this. He said, yes, you've been redeemed. Your sin has been paid for. But now you can live victorious. You see, the wages of sin is death, whether you're a believer or not. If you choose to sin, there are always consequences. There's always ramifications. And what God is telling each one of us is unbelievable good news. And he says this, you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. It doesn't mean you won't sin. Every one of us have that bent. That flesh is still there. But the wonderful redeeming factor is this, is that Jesus says this, I died not only to pay your debt for sin, but I died so that you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You don't, have to rule, you don't have to be ruled by sin anymore. And as we spend time with God, he makes us more and more like Christ. A favorite text of mine is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16, 17, and 18. And Paul says this, 
Whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and when, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, all of us who have been justified, all of us who have come to Christ by faith, we can see and reflect the glory of God. Then he ends up saying this, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we're changed into His glorious image. The picture is this, as we listen to God, as we walk with God, as we sin less, we don't become sinless. As we listen and respond to God, as we walk with Him, we are like a block of marble. And he begins to chip away all the stuff that reflects Rick. Because Rick isn't that attractive. Especially a block of marble. God says, Rick, I want you to reflect my son. And you've got, well, a little bit of anger issue. Chip, 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 chip. Chips that away. And as I spend more time, and as you spend more time, the things that don't reflect God very well, The sin that mars our vision is chipped away. And that's what sanctification is. The future aspect of salvation means we will be saved from the presence of sin. The third aspect is called glorification. Again, I I know it sounds like I have my professor hat on, but it's going to be really important if we can understand these three facets as we kind of jump into this first chapter here. So there's justification that happens once. There's sanctification that, well, it's a process all of our lives. It's this present thing that's going on. And then there's glorification someday. Every believer, when he or she shuts their eyes and they enter eternity, they are ushered right into the presence of the Almighty. And that should give you a little bit of clue what happens. When we are ushered into the presence of the Almighty, there, there's no sin around. And it will be the first time in any of our existence where we will be able to understand how wonderful and beautiful an environment is that has no sin. We don't have a clue. The third aspect of salvation is glorification. Whenever a believer dies, God completely and finally delivers him or her from the presence of sin and immediately and instantly brings them into eternal inheritance, into his heavenly presence. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 The author writes this, So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away our sins of many people. He will come again. And by the way, that's the first aspect. That's the justification aspect. And then the author goes on, He will come again not to deal with our sins, that was already done, but to bring salvation. Salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. I think one of the key verses in all this scripture that talk about the past and the present and the future aspect of salvation is in Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13. And I memorized this as a kid in King James. So that's what's on the screen right now. All right? But for the grace of God that brings salvation, that's the first aspect has appeared to all men, teaching us at the nine, this is the second, the present aspect, ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Now we're going to the future aspect, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Now we want to look into Scripture. Now I think this is going to to be so much fuller for you. And even as you continue to read the Scriptures all the way through, when you see that word salvation, 
It's not just talking about fire insurance. And I think fire insurance is really important. I do. But it's way bigger than that. Way more than that. Something to get excited about. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at the first part of verse 3. All praise to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He just starts saying, you know what, I just want to be able to praise my God. I am so grateful that I am born again. I am so grateful again that Jesus Christ paid my debt. Now we have, at least in this culture, is something that we've heard often, born again, or born new, or given a new life. Well, we've been given a new life because of God's mercy. Now, sometimes we confuse God's mercy and God's grace, and this might be one way to look at it. Um, I think they're both amazing. But really, God's mercy is not receiving what you and I deserve. God's grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Either way, it blows you away when you understand how much God cares for each one of us. But we were dead in our trespasses according to Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead people. Unable to experience abundant life now, and certainly not to experience eternal life when we would die. But Paul says this, even though we were dead in our trespasses, God's grace came and we have an opportunity to be born again. One of the most famous passages that so many of you, again, uh, have read in the past, it comes in John chapter 3. When a very religious man, his name was Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. Now he knew a lot of the scripture. He was a teacher. He was an authority. But he knew that Jesus, for some reason, stuck out as this rabbi and just asked him a question. Well, how do I become part of the kingdom? I think I'm missing something. Help me understand this, Jesus, rabbi. And Jesus said, yeah, what you have to do is be born again. Well, Nicodemus goes, you're kidding me. How's that going to work? Never heard about that before. Uh, Yeah, you mean like, uh, Jesus probably rolled his eyes. He says, Nicodemus, let, let me share with you what happens. And then a little bit later about verse 14, he says this, just as the serpent was raised In the desert, so must the Son of Man be raised. And if you, just like way back in Numbers, when the children of Israel looked up at a bronze snake, that saved you, that gave you brand new life, that restored your relationship with God, just like that, you need to be born again. You know, it's interesting, the root of this word, born again, actually emphasizes the father's role. Now, I understand it takes two to have a kid. All right, I do. But in this context, I think, again, it's one of those scenarios that God is just trying to share again, saying, hey, you need to be born again, but my part is really, really, really important. New life can happen because I love you, and I sent my son. And he died on the cross, and he was resurrected from the dead. Then Peter continues, starting in the last part of of verse 3. Now we live in great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. This is the third aspect. This is the future aspect of salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all of you to see. 
You see, not only God was merciful and justified us, but God says, I am merciful, and because of my mercy, we, everyone who has come to faith, can have an inheritance. This is the glorification part. It's the future aspect of our salvation. You see, Christians possess some of the benefits of salvation in this life. But the great fullness of redemption is yet to come. God has promised unfathomable glories in the internal perfection of heaven that will someday be enjoyed consciously by every believer. He is the source of the believer's inheritance. And our future remains perfect and eternally secure, a reality that every believer can focus on. As you know, I was a high school pastor for a really long time. And high school kids, they would get into justification, and they would get into, well, they didn't into sanctification so much, but they, they understood it. But I can tell you one thing, they didn't care about glorification. When you're 16 years old, heaven is not that attractive. I'm letting you know, you know. And the way we described heaven and spending all the time with God, and, and like some of you don't even like to sing here, you know. Like I'm really, I got to sing like every day? All, I, I mean, there aren't even days like, like this sounds like torture rather than glory, you know. But you know what's so amazing is that a 16-year-old perspective is really different than an 86-year-old's perspective. Not only because an 86-year-old has walked with God or maybe has walked with God for 80 more years, I don't know, a long time. But an 86-year-old, understands what the journey's about. Understands a little bit more of reality. Understand what's really important. Understands how short life is. Are you kidding me, Rick? You mean, like, it took me forever to get 16 and get my license. I know that. But the next 16 years begins to fly. And the next 16 years is a blink. And all of a sudden, you've, well, interacted with people. And the scars of your journey and the pain and the hurt begin to clear up your vision so that all the things that you thought were so very, very important at 16, the most important, they're not that important. Now, there isn't a 16-year-old today that's going to believe me. I get that. But that's why it's so wonderful to be part of a community with some gray hairs. You see, all those who are sitting here today who have the gray hair, your perspective is so different. Now, some of you may have dyed it, okay? But I still know that you are a gray hair. And I can let you know that when God walks with you for that many years, all of a sudden, this inheritance, this thing that's guaranteed, this opportunity that you're going to have is way different do you realize how odd a funeral is when they don't know Jesus? Have you been there? Do you realize the difference of someone laying in that casket that knows God, has walked with God? There is grieving. There is pain. There's no doubt about that. But there is something. There's some electricity in the air saying, no way, that guy made it before me. What's he doing right now? What's she doing right now? She gets to, for the rest of eternity, spend time with you, my Savior.
I don't expect 16-year-olds to get excited. I don't. But I do expect 86-year-olds to get excited and to be able to share. We can live with a great anticipation. We have a living and a growing hope. We now also have a priceless inheritance, something that we'll guarantee to receive in the future. And Peter, remember, he's at the end of his life. He's gone through all this. Of course he's going to be talking about this. Life is not about the here and now. He is focusing on a heavenly inheritance. Now one of the key phrases in this is this future inheritance is kept for you. This is the first time Peter uses the second person. All right? And I think what he's doing is making it personal. And he's just saying this. God gave you grace and the results are going to keep coming. Do you understand I'm going to guard this? In fact, it's a military term. That I am going to guard this for you. And it's going to be available for you. I guarantee it. It's going to happen. Then Peter jumps to... Verse 6, the last part. And this is the part so many of you have read before. This is a part so many of you have, have uh, just kind of dwelled on. But we shift gears again going to the present aspect of salvation. And that's why I shared this. But verse, uh, the end of, of verse 6, though you have to endure many trials for a while, there are, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him, now you trust him and you rejoice with glorious, expressible joy. This reward for trusting him will be the salvation, the present aspect of salvation for your souls. Because of God's mercy, you can have joy today. Joy in the journey even though you have many or have to endure many trials for a while. You see, Peter next turns to a source of joy that has immense practical ramifications for every believer. A confidence in a proven faith. Rather than allow severe trials or persecutions to steal their joy and spoil the anticipation of the future. Genuine believers with biblical perspective know that such sufferings actually refine them and they can be joyful in spite of it. You see, no matter what the source of trials, and trials can happen because you're following Jesus. Trials or troubles or hard times can happen because you're stupid. Trials can also happen just because other people are stupid. All right? But no matter what the source of trials, Peter is saying this, trials last for only a little while in light of eternity. And I know that some, you know, you, you are living year after year after year with infirmities. Or you have relational difficulties. Or you have a husband that just mistreats you and does not love God at all. And you wonder, how can I endure? How can I continue to follow God? This is only year 10 of my marriage. I don't know where I'm going to get strength. I don't know how this is going to work. But if it's 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years again, in light of eternity, it's a short time. That doesn't always encourage us. But trials also show that our faith is genuine. It's the real thing. You see, so many times again, um, 
we come to faith, we trust our God in an amazing way, but when things get a little bit tough, we kind of go our own way and do our own thing. But trials refine our faith, which literally strengthens our faith. Peter uses a metaphor of refining gold to help us understand the process. Now, if you know anything about refining gold or refining metal, this shouts out to me um, as an illustration of pain and discomfort. All I know is this, is that when you heat metals, all the impurities rise up to the top. Now, if Peter is saying, hey, this is kind of what happens to my faith... I'm going to heat you up a little bit, and the impurities are going to rise up. You say, Rick, how do you know so much about metal? <laughs> Let me tell you. As a young man, I was a businessman, probably about eight or nine years old. I sold, yes, I sold lead soldiers. Yeah, you didn't know that, huh? you need any advice, come to me. I will help you guys in business. All right? But here's the deal. Got this as a Christmas present. Thought, oh, I'm going to make all kinds of money. I have three molds. One guy kneeling with like a bazooka. Another guy standing there with like a bayonet. and another, I don't even know what the other guy was, you know. Three guys. Well, I didn't have any lead. So my dad had the great idea. Rick, go garbage picking. You know? Now, they don't make lead pipes anymore, I'm pretty sure. I, you know, I, I should probably ask some authorities over here, but I'm pretty sure that's not the way it goes anymore. But you get these lead pipes, you cut them up, you put them over the, you know, they're dirty, they're gross, you're picking them up, you know, out of, out of these uh, garbage cans and so on, and, and you put them over the heat. Well, when I first started doing the soldier thing, Pour, you know, it's liquid, it's great, pour that thing in, and I didn't even get ahead of a soldier, you know. There was all this sludge, all this crud. So what would happen? You put them back in the furnace, you take the top, and you skim it. And then you throw that away, it's not any good, and, and you keep doing this, you keep heating it, what you do, until it's so shiny, all right? There's no impurities in it. Then when you pour this hot lead into this mold. Oh, baby, does it produce a good soldier. Then you open that mold up and you go door to door. Like, who would buy toy soldiers door to door? I think out of all my efforts, I sold three. Okay? I think it didn't work well. It was a bad business plan. But I think what it taught me is how much heat it takes in order to get a soldier. And I kind of think that's what God's saying. God is saying in our lives, I'm going to pour on the heat at times. And you are going to get refined. And there's going to be some sledge that needs to be tossed out. And we're going to add some more heat. And you say, wait a minute, I, I don't like this. I, I, I'm done with the heat, God. Don't you understand that I'm ready to be poured? And you pour, and God says, I told you, you weren't ready to be poured. You only have a head. You only have part of a soul, you know, part of a, uh, a soldier. You want a soldier, it's going to take some heat. By God's design, trouble needs to be painful in order to refine believers for greater spiritual usefulness. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 71, my suffering was good for me. It taught me to pay attention to all of your decrees. In other words, when I go through hard times, all of a sudden I listen to God better. Not one of us would want to raise the hand for that. God, I want to hear you better. I want to grow. I want to be refined. I want to be an unbelievable mirror of your grace and mercy to my neighborhood. And God says, okay, I'm going to turn up the heat. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can we do it without the heat? Probably not. Probably not. So trials bring those who endure great glory and praise when we eventually stand before the king. 
Wow. This is good news, actually. If our lives were just about us and just about these 60, 70, 80 years, whoa, we wouldn't want that. But the truth is, our life is about eternity. And God uses these temporary years. The years were exiles. The years were living in between two worlds to refine us and open our eyes and give us the ability to be able to see God more clearly so we enjoy Him forever and ever and ever. Now that's good news. Now as I wrap up, it's just the last few verses because what Peter does, at least in this section, he kind of puts a perspective on it that helps us bring everything together. 1 Peter chapter 10. This salvation. Now again, what's cool if you're marking your Bibles, this is the whole thing. This is the past, the present, and the future aspects. This, this salvation, which is huge, was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation, big picture, prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of God within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. They were told that their messages were not for them, but for you, for this church. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who've preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels eagerly watching these things happen. The prophets sought to understand God's grace and mercy in Christ. They tried to comprehend his forgiveness, his goodness, his unmerited favor, his blessings that were lavished upon undeserving sinners. They knew that God's promise of salvation by grace would be extended someday way beyond Israel. They weren't always happy about that. But in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, The prophet is talking about the Messiah, and this is what God says. You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So the prophets, all the way through, knew that this salvation encompassed a whole lot more than they were experiencing, just like we. But what's so amazing, the last part of this section are angels. We don't know a lot about angels. We don't. We know that they're heavenly beings. We know that they're in different ranks. But we don't know a whole lot about what actually goes on up there. We have some hints. But can you imagine this? Even right now, As I'm teaching this, the angels are listening, going, I don't get this. God is way too merciful. I know how those guys live. I know how Rick lives. He is so pathetic. Why would God have mercy on him? Why would God dump the grace truck on him? Why would his mercy be overwhelming him? I don't get this. God, you are crazy. Over and over, the angels can't believe God's mercy. We are freaks of grace. We get to enjoy the benefit of God's grace in our lives. You know, Christians can, faith li- <laughs> Christians can face life triumphantly, with joy, no matter how difficult life is. God has mercifully and graciously given us a robust salvation. One the prophets have studied. One the Holy Spirit has inspired. One the apostles have preached about. And one the angels continually investigate. This is good news. And this is good news that we can praise our Heavenly Father each and every morning when we wake up. Let's pray. Father, once again, we are overwhelmed by your grace. 
We don't get it, but we are grateful. We ask at this time, God, that you would just open our eyes to all the wonderful blessings that we have. We are so grateful, God, that you sent your Son because you loved us to die in our place so that we might be justified and have the opportunity to live. We thank you, Father, for his shed blood, which gives us power and authority over sin. So we have a new master. And we thank you, Father, for your grace in our lives that we have an inheritance that is uncorruptible, that will never be denied, that we will be able to enjoy for all of eternity. All because you're merciful. God, would this salvation picture never be blurred? Would you continue to help us understand how wonderful and gracious you are as God? We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. You know, at this time, you've all uh, received a bulletin. And uh, there's a little tab or a flap in your bulletin. And, and if you're newer, I'd love to be able to connect with you this week and be able to check out your journey. Or if you have some prayer requests, perhaps you can put them down and put them in our, in our offering plate, which we're going to pass in just a little bit. But if that would be something that we might be able to encourage you with, I pray that you would be able to fill that out. I also know that there are some newer folks that are enjoying and and being in our community today. And uh, all of a sudden you opened your eyes and there's all these guys sitting up here, you know. Um, We have an opportunity at least once a month to be able to focus on God's death and his resurrection his amazing love to each one of us. And the scriptures tell us that during Jesus' last night on the planet, before he died, he gathered his disciples around him. And we call it the Last Supper. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to a cross. I'm going to stretch my arms out. I'm going to bleed, and I'm going to be the sacrifice for you. The problem is your life's going to get real busy, disciples, and you're going to forget this. You're going to forget how much I love you, and you're going to forget how much I've done for you. So I'm going to encourage you often to remember all that I did. Communion doesn't make you more righteous or holy. In fact, the scriptures just say this. As, as you participate, anyone who is a believer, anyone who's come to faith, anyone who's a child of God can participate in communion. And in just a moment, our gentlemen are going to pass, first of all, a cracker or some unleavened bread. And then we'll follow up with the cup or some juice. And the idea is this, is when you get that bread or get that cup, you just spend some time thanking God for his grace in your life. And so our normal practice every Sunday is to be able to listen to God and be able to reflect. And perhaps he brings some conviction. Perhaps he encourages you to think differently in some areas. This would be the time to do that. And maybe even now as you are holding the bread and the cup, there might be some confession that's needed so that you can just stand before the king clean. Because every one of us need that at times too. So if you would, um, we'll, we'll start off with passing the cup, excuse me, the bread. And uh, just take this, hold it, And eventually, um, when everyone has received the cracker, um, I'll read through some scripture, and we're going to have Dan pray before we take it together. Okay, gentlemen. Father, once again, we come before you um, really humbled by all that you've done for us. 
We know, God, that you are a God of grace and a God of mercy. We know that you have given us so much. So, Father, as we receive our offerings, we pray that we would give because we love you. We would give because you gave so much to us. Use these funds, God, to move your kingdom forward. We pray, God, that you would continue to do a work in us and through us. And thank you for letting us give back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just so amazed by God's grace, and we're going to close our time reading from Philippians chapter 4. May you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Trust your hearts have been encouraged. Trust as you leave, you begin to soar as you understand all that God has dumped to every one of his kids. It's a good day. Hey, just some reminders as you leave. First of all, uh, at, the, at the doors, we're going to have one of our ushers with a basket. And one of the things we enjoy doing is gracing those in our community um, that need some help financially. So if God has put something in your heart and you would like to uh, be generous in that way so that we as a church might be able to help those who are struggling right now financially, we encourage you to do that. It goes right into our benevolence fund. also want to remind you we have our annual meeting downstairs. Uh, there's going to be some great food and uh, some reports. And I think, again, your hearts will be encouraged as God continues to work in and through us here. And just so grateful again uh, that you're able to join us. We'll continue our study next week. Have a good one and see you next Sunday.